the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A pile of hot, steaming horse manure. That's what I want to start off with tonight, and it's sports, sort of. Comes from William C. Roden. Now, he's a, a really good writer, at least uh, stylistically. I mean, he's a really good writer. He's a really smart guy. And he's been writing about sports for over 40 years for the New York Times as a columnist and now as a uh, columnist for The Undefeated. That's uh, an ESPN site that focuses on race and culture. Uh, Roden is black, and he's written a lot of great columns and several books, but I don't know if he's ever written anything, anything that I've seen without eventually coming around to the race angle. So when I saw this piece today... I had to focus on it. Now, the headline is, uh, Black Quarterbacks Are Filling the Void on the Field. And the subheadline is, Can They Change the Outlook of Fans? And to me, the, what, what uh, annoyed me about this piece is what he says about the fans, not what he says about black quarterbacks. I agree with mostly everything he says in here about black quarterbacks. But um, I'll just read you the, the way it starts. Uh, it says, More than any other... More than any moral imperative or even necessity, quarterback Andrew Luck's shocking retirement from the Indianapolis Colts last week assured the permanent imprimatur of black quarterbacks on the soul of the National Football League. Now, I don't know how many people thought about that when um, Andrew Luck retired. There was a lot of discussion about it when he retired, about how the fans reacted, people booing him. Some people accused him of being a quitter. Uh, a lot of people praised him for uh, having a proper perspective. He'd already made $127 million, whatever it was, and he didn't need the money, and his life was being ruined by injuries and trying to rehab from injuries, and he just wasn't enjoying it anymore. So there was a, a good, healthy debate about mostly meaningless stuff when you get right down to it because it was about football and it just doesn't matter it's only football but uh william c roden likes to talk about serious um aspects of sports and as i said mostly racial issues so he's decided that luck retiring from the colts uh, assured the permanent imprimatur of black quarterbacks on the National Football League. Now, he says that he thought that had happened before uh, when Mike, in 2001, that's a long time ago now, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, but in 2001, Michael Vick became the first black quarterback taken number one overall. He says, I thought for sure that the frustrations of black quarterbacks would be avenged that the black dominance that had evolved at running back, wide receiver, and every position on defense would take over the quarterback position as well. And he says it never happened. And it didn't. Uh, and there, there's no question that black quarterbacks were discriminated against, not allowed to play a, simple, a quarterback, I should say. They were allowed to play, but not quarterback, simply because they were black. Warren Moon is the best example. He came out of the University of Washington uh, he should have been a high number one pick in the draft based on what he did as a quarterback at Washington. And he wasn't drafted because he had, he was told by scouts and whoever else was involved at the time that if he were to be drafted by an NFL team, he would not be quarterback. He'd be a defensive back. I think that's what they told him he would be. I'm pretty sure it was he was going to be a safety or a cornerback, some kind of defensive player. He wasn't going to be a quarterback. And Moon, to his credit, said, well, you know what? I'm not playing. I'm a quarterback. So he went to uh, Canada and set all kinds of records. And eventually, uh, as an, an older guy, got his chance to play in the NFL. And all he did was make it to the Hall of Fame as a quarterback. So he's just proved them all to be total idiots when it came to not uh, um, considering black players as quarterbacks um, and that was quite a while ago that's in the 80s when he had to go to um, go to Canada and play for several years but here's the thing the same thing happened to Doug Flutie who's uh, as white as a 
white person can be, but he also happened to be only five foot ten, and he was one of those athletic, mobile quarterbacks that the NFL uh, scouts, coaches, general managers just didn't like, uh, and only started to like in the last I don't know ten, fifteen years, maybe beginning with Vic uh, twenty years, almost twenty years ago. But it was as much a case of not needing or wanting uh, quarterbacks who could run uh, as well as they could throw or better because they just didn't think it fit into the NFL offense, uh, the, the NFL offenses that were in vogue at the time. And now because of rules changes uh, and uh, uh, the way they protect quarterbacks and the offenses that are being run, it's l- much uh, it's not nearly as important for a quarterback to stand in the pocket. So it became, uh, for for black quarterbacks who tend to be the more athletic guys, um, they, uh, they have gotten a chance to play because they know how to use them. Um, I, got, I took a lot of heat way back in the late 90s and early 2000s because I was a big supporter of Cordell Stewart, and uh, I was one of the two or three guys in the entire Pittsburgh sports media who did claim that he was being uh, used improperly, they were not taking advantage of his uh, abilities, and that he was taking way too much blame for what turned out to be a bad team for a couple of years. And um, and that I've said for years that Bill Cowher pretty much ruined his career by hiring uh, offensive coordinators who didn't know how to use him. He was one of the best running quarterbacks who ever lived, and they, they used to yell at him if he would run for a long game because he, um, uh, Kevin Gilbride was one of the offensive coordinators. He would tell him he would yell at him after a thirty yard run and say, "Hey, uh, the, the the play was open. You could have thrown the you could you could have completed a pass." So there's been a lot of stupidity. But uh, the stuff here that um, that um, William C. Roden has in this piece is just beyond stupid. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to take a break, and then when I come back, I'm going to finish on this. But I, I'm going to go through this, and some of the things he said in here are just insane. And it's, it's not just because it's about sports, but it's kind of a reflection of what's happening in the culture and politics and everything else. We'll be right back. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention STAG for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Steigerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, COBRA. There are so many choices, but all seem to bring one word to mind expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years, Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and then do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Worried about the penalty? All of Marley Financial Plans are penalty exempt because they know how to design the plans. Most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand dollars a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 on the web at MarleyFG.com. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today, but now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO of MyPillow, wants to give back to Stag fans everywhere. You can get deep discounts on all MyPillow products if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the new radio listener specials. Now you can get deep discounts on MyPillows, mattress toppers, 
bed sheets, and so much more. There's even a great body pillow. Perfect if you happen to be a side sleeper. Regularly $89.99, but with promo code STAG, you can get one today for only $29.99. Remember, all my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. It's MyPillow's way of saying thank you for all your support. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the new radio listener specials, and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the body pillow, for only $29.99. Enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087 for these great radio specials. That's 800-716-8087 or MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. Imagine doing one thing that gives you an entirely different perspective about your place in the world. Think it would be worth it? Dennis Prager here inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour, a tour through the land of Israel in December 2019. Come with me to get first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Walk the ancient temple steps, sail on the Sea of Galilee, and so many more unforgettable moments. Return home inspired, renewed, and empowered. If you've ever dreamed of seeing Israel, this is your opportunity with expert guides and important lectures at key sites. We'll be together in the comfort and safety of luxurious accommodations the whole time. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. Get more details about the trip or sign up now to join Mike Gallagher and Dennis Prager on the Stand with Israel Tour by going to TheAnswerPGH.com slash Israel. That's TheAnswerPGH.com slash Israel. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. So more from uh, William C. Roden here. He he, he, uh, talked to uh, a guy named Jimmy Ray. He was a quarterback way back in the mid-60s for Michigan State, a black guy. And uh, he quotes him, and, and Ray never got a chance to play in the NFL. He said, I, th- I thought that would happen. He's talking about uh, that black quarterbacks would become the norm uh, a lot sooner than, the, than they have. He says, I thought that would happen after Doug Williams won the Super Bowl, and it didn't. That was back in, uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, I don't know the year, but it was a long time ago. I can't remember the year. Um, but he's a... Uh, Ray's a former All Big Ten quarterback, and he was been around uh, college and pro football for forty years as a coach and a uh, and a scout. And he says, "I think the numbers. This is Ray now. I think the numbers will increase and tilt more toward minority quarterbacks than it did twenty years ago. But I don't think it will ever be a full revolution of all the teams in the NFL having black quarterbacks. I find that hard to believe. I think the NFL will disintegrate before that happens. Now." Um, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to imagine 32 teams all having black quarterbacks just because there are still, believe it or not, some g- white guys who are still pretty good at quarterback. Um, and they are going to get jobs. So it, it, to think that it's ever going to become all black quarterbacks in the NFL is, is probably unrealistic. Could happen. Um, but the league is 70% black right now. So. Uh, so I don't think it's going to disintegrate if it happened one year that all the quarterbacks were black. All the cornerbacks are black, by the way, and have been for years. That's C-O-R-N-E-R backs, the defensive players. Um, so, uh, and, and as uh, uh, William C. Roden points out, he says, Ray was victimized by a mentality, mentality that insisted that athleticism and intelligence were mutually exclusive, especially when it came to black quarterbacks. He's 100, 100% correct on that. Uh, but this is what, this is what uh, Roden writes after that. Today's new group of black quarterbacks, despite the persistence of racism, had to get that in there, that there's still racism, which there always will be, but it's a question of to what degree. It's never going to go away in anything, 100%. But he says, despite the persistence of racism, has a chance to cleanse the NFL's murky past. Luck's sudden exit will escalate the process, and here's why. So by having all black quarterbacks, or almost all black quarterbacks, the NFL will be cleansed, according to William C. Roden. But here's here's the money uh, paragraph for me, the one that got me interested. This is from Roden. To many fans, luck was seen, consciously or unconsciously, as a cultural hedge against this latest wave of black players who threatened to make quarterbacks look like the largely black NFL secondaries and wide receiver groups. He was being counted on to take the torch from Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers as the face of the NFL, the white face. This is what this guy writes. 
that there that he thinks that many fans are out there actually consciously thinking, you know, I sure hope that all uh, that Andrew Luck is able to take the torch from Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I don't know one person who thinks that way, and, there, and there's always going to be somebody out there who thinks that. But to say many fans, first of all, he's 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 doing what you're not supposed to do when you're talking about race, which is speak in general terms. I, I, at least I think that's what you're not supposed to do. So what's many mean? Ten? A million? Ten million? I don't know what that means. And he says, as soon as luck came out of Stanford... He was elevated to the pantheon of all-time great quarterbacks. This continued throughout his career, even though his win-loss record did not justify such an instant elevation. I don't know anybody or anywhere where Luck was uh, elevated to the pantheon of all-time great quarterbacks the instant he got out of Stanford. They said he was a can't-miss prospect, which he was and proved to be. But this is just hyperbole. And it's a team sport, by the way. So... Uh, the fact that he didn't win championships it might have something to do with what team he played on. Now, he points out, uh, he says, Luck will turn 30 on September 12th. Russell Wilson and Cam Newton, Wilson is biracial, Newton is black, both African-American, have had uh, d- demonstrably more successful NFL careers than Luck and in the same amount of time. Wilson, 30, led Seattle to one Super Bowl championship and came an interception away from winning a second. Newton, also 30, led Carolina to a Super Bowl appearance and has been the league MVP. Neither player has consistently been mentioned like Luck as successor to the quarterback throne. Uh, Russell Wilson is the highest paid player in NFL history. That's what he's been elevated to. That's a pretty good throne to be sitting on right now. Over the summer, he was made the highest paid player in NFL history. I think that means you've ascended to whatever throne that uh, William C. Roden is talking about. And then he goes on to say, this is not an attack on luck or on scouts and front office personnel who by and large are driven by the need to win games. This is a critique. This is another just unbelievable paragraph. This is a critique of the latter-day incarnation of Jack London's great white hope admonishment to Jim Jeffries that he saved white honor by defeating Jack Johnson and take back the heavyweight boxing championship. You probably have to be pretty old to remember when there was such a thing as a great white hope in boxing, because boxing right now is so far down on the list of sports that people really, lots of people pay attention to. But this is what Roden says. This mentality has been perpetuated by an overwhelmingly white sports media. I've sat in these press boxes for nearly 40 years and accepted by a largely white fan base that craves white heroes in mythology at a time when both are dis- disappearing from our landscape. He just he says that the, 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 he makes the, the statement, just blatantly makes the statement that white people largely white fan base uh i guess that i don't know how, what's that mean how many is that every you know most white people a largely white fan base that craves white heroes i i, I don't know of anybody who craves a white hero i just don't uh and mythology at a time when both are disappearing from our landscape uh, this is according to whom but where's he come up with this quarterbacks he says he writes Quarterback has replaced the heavyweight belt as a marker of white manhood and whiteness in general. What? I don't know any white person, any person, period, male or female, who thinks that the a white quarterback is a is a sign of, or is as replaced as a uh, the heavyweight belt as a marker of white manhood and whiteness in general. And then he says writes, in an environment where white nationalism has become more open, according to whom, again, the, the media, white nationalism because of Donald Trump, which is, most of that is just BS. He says, light lux departure and the rise of black quarterbacks for some is another sign of eroding white privilege. That's, just, uh, again, <laughs> he says some. I don't know how many that is. Is it a 10, a 100, 5 million, 50 million? It, it makes no sense. There is already unbridled excitement around Clemson's Trevor Lawrence, who checks several. Bu- Trevor Lawrence plays for Clemson, in case you didn't know, and he played last year, and they won the national, the mythical national championship. And he's a uh, he was a freshman, 
and there's talk that he could have been the number one pick in the draft, even though he's not eligible. Uh, if he had been eligible, he might have been the number one pick in the draft. And uh, William uh, C. Roden writes that Lawrence, who checks several boxes, talented, tall, blonde, and white, remains to be seen whether Lawrence can stand up under the weight of having to carry cultural hopes and aspirations. This may have been part of Luck's problem. Uh, then he goes back to uh, Ray, and he quotes Ray. says, I think the fans will switch their allegiance from Andrew Luck to the Baker Mayfields of the world. So white fans everywhere are now rooting for Baker Mayfield of the Cleveland Browns, not because they like the Browns and like to see the Browns you know, come back to their former selves, but because they're white and he's white, and they are yearning for a um, white... Um, a white hero, a white a white symbol of mythology, because that's what white people walk around doing, worrying about who the who's the quarterback and who the number one quarterback in the league is, and hoping that he's white because that makes them happy. And again, this is William C. Roden. He's just—I don't know if he took an actual scientific survey. I'm pretty sure he didn't, but he came up with this. And he writes, Like was the next generation of greatness after the Bradys, the Breeze, Philip Rivers. He was the torch carrier. So I, so I think what will happen now is the young guns, the Sam Darnold. This is uh, Jimmy Ray speaking. Uh, he was the torch carrier. So I think what will happen now is the young guns, the Sam Darnolds, the Josh Rosens, and the Baker Mayfields, whichever guy comes out of that and carries his team to a conference championship, I think whoever that is will be the next point of the stability that white people feel comfortable with. They'll make one of those guys the new hero. You know what they'll do? They'll make one of them a new hero if he's a really, really good quarterback. If he stinks, they won't. If he's mediocre, they won't. But if he becomes a great quarterback, they'll like him. And they'll think he's great, and they'll be happy to watch him play, especially if, especially the people who live in the in the uh, city where, you know, his team actually plays. So, uh, just this is just an unbelievable um, pile of horse manure. What this is from William C. Roden. Here's another uh, a another paragraph for decades. NFL teams denied opportunity to marginalized, underestimated, and devalued black talent. That is 100% true. With the imminent retirement of the old guard quarterbacks and the sudden retirement last week of a new one, there is a vacuum to be filled. It will be filled by players who look different, who run differently, and act differently from anything that has come before. That's not true. Uh, the Mike Vick... Uh, ran differently, he came before. Warren Moon looked differently, he came before, like 30 years before these guys did. So that's just not true. That Different from anything that has come before. It's just not true. Those who want to cling to the old status quo will discover that, alas, their luck, pun intended, has run out. So that's where uh, William Roden is coming from. Now, the, the undefeated actually is running a series on the year of the black quarterback because so many black quarterbacks are uh, doing well and, and starting for teams, including uh, in the Steelers division, Lamar Jackson, who I, by the way, have been ro- openly rooting to, for to succeed only because I think he's an exciting player and the NFL has gotten boring with all the dinking and dunking. So Jason Reed uh, wrote uh, this. He said, the... Ascent of the black quarterback doesn't signal that the NFL is, this is, he's writing for the undefeated, is now a colorblind utopia. The next owner who provides a full-throated endorsement of any player, let alone a starting quarterback who protests against police brutality and systemic oppression before games will be the first. Colin Kaepernick should have an opportunity to show where he belongs within this quorum. The most famous black quarterback in the world hasn't played in nearly three years. Cap serves as a reminder that the year of the black quarterback isn't simply a matter of talent and determination. It's still a struggle to be black and stay under center, a fight that can be lost simply because the playing ground still isn't equal. No, it can be lost if you decide to uh, have a protest that makes uh, annoys all the paying customers on game day. That's why Kaepernick is not playing in the NFL, not because he's black and not because he protested when and where he protested. We'll be back. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. National Weather Service meteorologist John Qualiero 
says Hurricane Dorian is headed north from Florida parallel to the coast. Dorian remains a Category 2 hurricane with winds of 105 miles per hour as it lifts northward off the east coast of Florida. The center of Dorian will pass very close to the South Carolina coast Thursday into Thursday night and is expected to remain a dangerous hurricane. Charleston Mayor John Tecklenburg says they're expecting even more water in the streets than during the last two major storms. At 1.11 a.m., Thursday early morning, the tide is projected to be at 10.3 feet. Now, in Irma, it was 9.92 feet, and in Matthew, it was 9.29 feet. On Wall Street, the Dow by 237 points. This is SRN News. Hi, Dennis Prager here. I want to let you know about a new product available at the Prager Store. It's offering the audio version of the Rational Bible Genesis on CD. If you or someone you know has a problem reading small print, or if you prefer to just sit back and enjoy the story, the audio version on CD is an excellent way to experience the teachings of my book. The Rational Bible, the Genesis volume, is narrated by the extraordinary Tom Parks. He's been recording bestsellers for 30 years. I personally picked him. Reviewers describe his readings as conversational, energetic, earnest, and sincere. He narrated Exodus, and you will love listening to him read Genesis. Writing this book has been part of my life's mission, listening or reading. I hope these are life-changing for you. In fact, I know they will be. Of that, I am absolutely certain. In fact... Even the living martyr who knows me as well as anybody living is listening to the book on audio. Very touched. And you liked it, didn't you? You loved it. To buy the Rational Bible Genesis audio book or the autographed hardcover, go to PragerStore.com. Dr. Sebastian Gorka gives a huge example of the difference between the right and the left. Do we do that on the right? Do we actually say that we're going to kill a comedian because we disagree with their stance politically. It's not even a political stance, is it? He's just making a a jokey video and it involves the Clintons and therefore he must receive death threats. America First with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The Answer. This is Chris Abernethy of Abernethy and Hagerman. You don't want the government deciding what happens to your estate or how much they will take. At Abernethy and Hagerman, estate administration is the heart and soul of our practice. We have the experience to help not only plan, but administer your estate properly to protect your assets, minimize taxes, and ensure that your inheritance gets to the ones you love. Decide for yourself. Abernethy and Hagerman. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Here is your new Pella Lifestyle window when open. Here it is. Closed. The new Pella Lifestyle Series is the number one performing wood window and patio door for sound control, energy efficiency, and value. Keep the outside noise outside. More peace and better rest for your family. Exceptional noise control for a quieter home. Right now, get 50% off installation or 18 months, no payments, no interest. Call 888-77-PELLA. PellaPittsburgh.com. Community Bank. City Mission. Number one Cochrane. Highmark Stadium. Peters Township Community Center. Angelo's Restaurant. What do all these businesses have in common? Nello Construction. Design and build with one company. Nello Construction. Full service construction from the ground up. Renovation. Expansion. Nello Construction. The choice for business. See the projects. Begin the journey at NelloConstruction.com. The nexus between school attendance and academic performance is well established. The better a student's attendance, the better that student's academic results. And, of course, the better the respective school's attendance and academic record. But an Allegheny Institute analysis shows Pittsburgh Public Schools has lost ground on these metrics between the 2012-13 and 2017-18 school years. Learn more about this topic and others at AlleghenyInstitute.org, where conventional thinking is challenged every day stuck in traffic we've got the answer traffic heavy throughout the area parkway west outbound poplar street to the fort pit tunnel stop and go traffic parkway east outbound boulevard vialis to edgewood swissdale stop and go also liberty bridge outbound you are jammed up from the boulevard vialis to pj mccardle roadway 28 outbound chestnut street to grand avenue stop and go and then again jammed up from route 8 into the highland park bridge that's a look at traffic. I'm Megan Novelli. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. 
A shower in some places through early afternoon. Otherwise, we'll see intervals of clouds and sunshine this afternoon. It'll become breezy with lowering humidity later on, the high 80. Then tonight will turn out clear to partly cloudy and cooler, low 54. Tomorrow, a nice day with sunshine and some clouds, high 75. For Friday, partly sunny, but there may be a shower in the afternoon, the high 77. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm meteorologist Joe Lundberg. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, we spent most of the first half hour talking about the NFL and its history of discrimination against blacks, and nobody denies that the league has a stain that's just as nasty as the one baseball has for keeping black players out until 1947. Um, Actually, the NFL had a, a gentleman's agreement to keep them out for the first 13 years of its existence, and Art Rooney... Uh, Steelers owner was part of that and founder was part of that agreement. His statue was outside Heinz Field, as you probably know. Should it be removed? No, but it could happen. And do you know what a dude wall is? Ariel Davidson wrote about a dude wall or dude walls in a piece for the Federalist, and she joins us now. Ariel, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So are, are dude walls a thing now? And if so, uh, who should we thank for that? Well, they weren't really something that people thought about that intensely until recently. Uh, the term dude wall was coined by Rachel Maddow from MSNBC, and she used it to describe the walls of university halls and even hospitals as well, where they tend to hang um, either academic pictures of academic deans or uh, you know various graduates of the university or even scientists or Nobel Prize winners. Uh, and there is, you know, an overwhelming majority are men. And so she has noticed this and she called it the dude wall. And in response, there are actually some universities that are removing the portraits of these men off their walls for no other reason other than the fact that they're, quote unquote, old white men. Yeah, I'm one uh, of those. And, you know, it's just, it's alarming. It's odd. It's strange. It's not <laughs> these men were accused of you know, bigotry of any kind. These aren't racist men. These aren't men that, um, you know, have done horrible things in their past life. In fact, some of them discovered vaccines. Uh, But their portraits are being removed one by one from walls and moved to less prominent locations. Yeah, and you wrote about some examples uh, of people you're talking about there, University of Michigan and a hospital in Boston. Yes, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, the reason I focused on that one was because the former dean of Harvard Medical School, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Flyer, actually spoke out against Brigham and Women's moving, removing those portraits from the walls of one of their um, common lecture halls where they have more famous speakers come. He said, look, you know, there's a way to incorporate the present with the past. But if you continue to just remove portraits wholesale, there's sort of an erasure of history taking place, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these are people who have done magnificent things, made phenomenal contributions to society, and how are we repaying them? We're taking down their portraits because they don't fit the particular type of diversity that we're looking to satisfy or fulfill. Um, And the other thing... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, over 20% of Nobel Prize winners, or around 20%, are Jewish. And historically, the older ones were from families that were escaping persecution in Europe, or they themselves were escaping persecution, but that's not the right type of diversity, right? It's not the one that, you know, physically at first glance you're going to notice or see. And so, therefore, those portraits have to be taken down. Yeah, and I just wonder if, uh, the you know, the, the thing with the statues has been going on for a while, but uh, the... the uh, the dude wall, I, I don't know if, I, I guess Rachel Maddow is going to be given credit for uh, coming up with that term, which actually is a pretty good term. Um, uh, it describes what it is, uh, and it's kind of funny, but um, it's it's a dumb thing to, you know, react to it. But um, I just wonder if it if it if it's becoming commonplace, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a wave, you know, about to hit us, where you're going to see a lot of empty walls. I think we are. Um, I think what you'll start to notice is that now we're removing portraits of people that had nothing to do with the particular act of racism or sexism of the past that we have an issue with, right? So, you know, we started seeing statues being removed of people that were directly involved in acts that we felt reprehensible. Now we're just seeing portraits removed because people aren't fulfilling the correct, you know, uh, socioeconomic class that we expect them to. Yeah. And the other thing I'll notice, too, is, and I go into this in the piece, is 
we're holding people accountable for the ills of their era. Yeah. We're not actually telling individuals, you know, we're not saying these individuals did something wrong. We're saying they're from an era where sexism, sexism and, and racism was rampant, and because they're white, they must have had some part in it. So we're just going to take their portraits down. It's bizarre. It's dumb, too. Totally bizarre. And, and, you know, I've always thought it, the, the, anybody who, who, any old white guy you see, um, you know, going all the way back to the founders whose, whose, you know, statues and pictures are being removed in different places, they were born into slave ownership or born into a society that where all those things that we, we don't like today existed. And they, they that, so they're 200 years later or 100 years later, they're 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 being uh, disgraced or removed because they didn't change the entire society in the seventy years they spent on the planet. It's just strange. No, and I think it's also you know one of those things. I'm perfectly content to call out those who partook in slavery. I'm perfectly content to call out those engaged engaged in racism or sexism. I'm willing to do that. What I'm not okay doing is taking down portraits of individuals who, you know, had no part in any of the reprehensible activities that might have been taking place during their era. And, you know, just, I, I don't want any part of those portraits being taken down. I find it very odd. I find it alarming. And as, you know, I kind of mentioned in the piece, there's no perfect time in history, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a time in history that's imperfect. And, you know, there's never going to be a time where we're perfectly happy with the past, uh, past eras. And so... You're right. There might be no end in sight to this kind of behavior. And um, is it because white men are glorified too much or women and minorities aren't glorified enough or both? I don't know. The piece that I was looking at in particular um, from NPR talked about power structures and how there are people who are in positions of power due to, you know, potentially their race or potentially their gender, and because of that, whatever successes they've experienced must be because they were in that position of power. That's sort of the argument that those on the left, or I would say particularly progressives, are making, that there's no way these people accomplish this good um, on their own. It's just because they were in a position of power. And I find that utterly absurd. Yes, there are certain power structures in society, but to, to, you know, to rob somebody of the magnanimous success they achieved in in discovering a vaccine because you don't like their race or gender, that to me in and of itself is a huge problem. Yeah, you um, So that's sort of the idea I was trying to go after. Yeah, you mentioned Jonas Salk, who's uh, a, a pretty big name here in Pittsburgh. It's where he did his work and discovered the polio vaccine. And, you know, he's a white guy, an old white guy. Right, and Jonas Salk is... Of, I mentioned him in particular as well is because his family were Russian Jews that led persecution in Eastern Europe. And it's not like he came from a, posi a position of particular wealth or social clout, right? And he's someone that came up against barriers quite frequently in American society, but he discovered the polio vaccine. And yet he's going to be lumped in as somebody who was in a position of power and therefore, we need to disregard his achievements. I find that despicable. And, it, it, and even if he hadn't come against those any sort of impediments, I would still find it despicable. Because on principle, the man contributed something magnificent to society, and he should be honored for doing that, regardless of his race, regardless of his gender. And we're talking to Ariel Davidson. Uh, she's a staff writer at The Federalist and also a law student at Georgetown University Law Center. And you were an economic research assistant at the Hoover Institution and a Publius Fellow at the Claremont Institute. And you graduated from Middlebury College, where my dad went, by the way, with a B.A. Oh, in Russian. Uh, so uh, you've, got, <laughs> you've, got, you've been pretty busy, and you're, you're still a young woman. I just wonder, there on the campus of Georgetown, uh, where they've had, ish they've, they've had discussions about uh, uh, reparations, and what's the climate there? You know, I've overall, I've had a pretty positive experience with Georgetown. Mm -hmm. I definitely think I'm in the minority in terms of my uh, political viewpoints and mm -hmm. just sort of how I view the world, obviously. But I will say that I've been really pleasantly surprised, especially among the faculty, 
how receptive people are to hearing opinions that they might not necessarily agree with or opinions they might not hear that often. So I think overall my experience has been pretty positive mm-hmm. at Georgetown Law. And the one thing I will add, though, is that law school is sort of unique from undergraduate institutions. Because law schools are very appreciative of the First Amendment, they tend to be more accepting of diversity of viewpoints than okay. you might see on a typical undergraduate university campus. And by the way, as an aside here, my dad went to Middlebury uh, on the GI Bill after serving in World War II, and he flunked out. And, uh, <laughs> and he played baseball there, though, and hit three thirty three. But he, but he, um, he would not like Middlebury today because uh, he was a very conser- he was an early conservative, and I don't think he'd be real happy with what's been going on at Middlebury lately. <laughs> Yeah, Middlebury has kind of gone a bit towards, you know, has allowed itself to kind of be swept up in the progressive wave in certain ways. Um, You know, when I was there, I helped to found the American Enterprise Institute chapter at Middlebury College Mm -hmm. uh, with some friends. And one of our hopes to increase, you know, discussion of political issues in a bipartisan fashion. And literally the next year after I left, they had the whole Charles Murray protesting issue where they actually had... You know, there was a professor that was physically assaulted by protesters, yeah. um, and she was a registered Democrat. She was the one that was going to be interviewing Charles Murray, and she literally had her head yanked back. And what was so sort of sad and ironic about the situation was that Charles Murray was coming to campus to speak specifically about his book, Coming Apart, which had been written to sort of show how fractured our uh, culture and our society had become. And so it was almost like it was living out his, the, the thesis of his book was being lived out in that event, um, and in a really sad way. Well, now, uh, are you a millennial? I am a millennial, yes. And, I mean, I don't mean to, as a, as a pejorative, I just, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get a, a feel for your, your um, you know, what age group you're in, but... Um, I'm just wondering, you, you mentioned that you formed the, um, uh, a chapter of AEI at Middlebury, and now you're down there in Georgetown. Just as a millennial with the um, political uh, bent that you have, what is that like for you? Or, or, or is, it, is, it over, is, the, um, is the idea that uh, millennials are all wanting to be socialists, is that overdone? Well... Uh, yes and no. I don't know if it's overdone. I think it's a very real problem in terms of millennials and how popular socialism is amongst millennials. But I will say this is that I've had a pretty good experience in terms of meeting people with whom I can find common political ground, Mm -hmm. which is sort of surprising. But you have to think about the fact that D.C. right now you have the Trump administration and you have, um, you know, so various people in positions. Uh, within the Trump administration are obviously going to write a center. And so there are, you know, there are a good number of people within D.C. who have similar political views to mine. So I haven't felt really isolated by it. But I will say within my generation, it is certainly an isolating factor. Um, and, and, it, and it can be if you let it be. But I always sort of tell my friends who are on the other side of the political spectrum, I can talk about a lot of things other than politics. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and uh, the the producer you spoke to before you went on, Erin, she's a millennial, and she's wearing a Che Guevara T-shirt right now. <laughs> no, she's not. She's. I think she's more along the line with the way you think. Um, and I just want to ask you, get back to this, uh, uh, before we finish here, get back to this um, dude wall thing and, and the erasing of history. Uh, so is it, as you suggest, a Marxist influence that creates this mentality? Can you explain that? Yeah, I think it is. So the Marxist influence that I, I kind of went into in the piece a bit more was just the idea that everything boils down to a power structure and everyone is playing some role within a power structure, whether they like it or not. And there's this idea that no matter um, what the character is of the individual, whoever has more power than the other person is automatically bad guy. And um, in terms of Marxism and in terms of cultural Marxism, there is a pecking order, and the pecking order is based off of race and gender. And so automatically, if you are an older white man, you are put in the bucket of having more power, and therefore you are inherently the bad guy. No matter how benevolent, how kind you are, you are the villain. 
And so because of that, even if you make a sounding contribution to society, you are still viewed as being the bad one. And that is sort of what drove, at least when I read this piece um, from NPR that went into more detail about the dude wall, that was really the argument that was subversively being posited by some of the students, was that, you know, these were people that are in positions of power and um, their presence on the wall erases the accomplishments of women and minorities. And they're sort of looking at recognition as a zero-sum game which is very Marxist. You know, if one person wins, it's always at the expense of another person. If one person does something great, it's always because they have oppressed another person to do that great thing. And that is incorrect. You and I both know that's incorrect. But within the Marxist framework, someone only gets ahead because they squashed someone else. Someone only does something great because they squashed someone else. And that's wrong. But again, that's sort of the historicism that defines Marxism, that's how it operates. And so when they make these kind of claims, what they're really saying is that person wasn't successful because of their remarkable talent. They were successful because they pushed someone else down. And there's no evidence of that, right? There's no, I said in my piece, I said, look, if you can tell me where Jonas Salk oppressed someone else to discover the polio vaccine, let's take his picture down. But until that happens, I'm not going to support the idea or support the notion that these portraits should be taken down. Yeah, and that is really stupid, and uh, it's amazing It's that kind of stupidity is gaining ground in what's supposed to be, an, on what at what are supposed to be institutions of higher learning. But that's what's happening. Oh, absolutely. And again, it's this idea of, you know, if we need to be so attentive to history, which I fully support, why are we missing it? Uh, and I, I, Ariel, I'm out of time. I appreciate you being here as usual. Good luck uh, at law school, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks again, John. Have a good one. Okay, you too. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. So when people first hear about MediShare, they have questions, some really good questions, starting with the obvious, what is it? Well, MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. It's not health insurance. It's a different way of doing things, which leads us to the next question. Why do people do this? Why do they become MediShare members? Here are two of the biggest reasons. Number one, people feel good about it. They're not trapped in a plan that makes them pay for things they don't believe in. They know their money is going to help people. And the second reason, people save a lot of money. Maybe you've heard us mention the typical family saves about $500 a month switching to MediShare. And one more big question, does it work? The answer is yes, a thousand times yes, or 400,000 times, since that's how many MediShare members there are, and they've shared over $2 billion in medical expenses. So easy to find out right now how MediShare can work for you. Call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-BIBLE. 844-41-BIBLE. Miracle League of Moons, Mike McGulloch joins us. Mike, how's the new field house coming? The building permit was issued. We have the majority of the earthwork done, and they should be pouring foundation pads in the restrooms over the next week or two. Those restrooms are really going to make a big difference for athletes and special needs, aren't they? The ability to be able to use a restroom has always been difficult. You see how little space there is or the little accommodations are made for individuals with disabilities, but it's something that we can make a little bit easier for everybody. From the field house to the ball field to the playground, it's really going to be state-of-the-art. It'll be updated with ramping systems and different things so that individuals that have problems with their mobility will be able to get to the same spots that everyone else that easily can get to. And every dollar you give goes directly to the project. Our board is funding all the administrative costs, so any donation from anyone goes directly to the construction of the field. Let's make miracles happen. Give today at miraclesinmoon.org slash donate. Sponsored by Robinson Town Center, a Zamias Properties entity. If you're worried about market volatility or the possibility of losing money in the next market crash, the time to act is now. Effective financial management involves identifying opportunities. And with a 10-year bull market run, markets around all-time highs, and a highly contested election cycle right around the corner, we have an opportunity now to protect what's important. Don't risk losing a significant portion of your life savings in the next market downturn. Call Hunt & Associates today, 844-366-HUNT. That's 844-366-4868. Imagine doing one 
one thing that gives you an entirely different perspective about your place in the world. Think it would be worth it? Hi, it's Mike Gallagher, inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour through the land of Israel in December of 2019. Come with me to get first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. We'll learn about the geopolitical, economic, and spiritual dynamics of one of the most fascinating places on earth. And you'll share experiences that will change how you view the world. Walk the ancient temple steps. Touch the Western Wall. Sail on the Sea of Galilee. Pray on the Mount of Beatitudes. The list goes on. Return home inspired, renewed, and empowered. If you've ever dreamed of seeing Israel, this is your chance. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. The 10-Day Stand with Israel Tour, December 2019. Get more details about the trip or sign up now to join Mike Gallagher and Dennis Breaker on the Stand with Israel Tour by going to theanswerpgh.com slash Israel. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Hey, remember Jussie Smollett? You remember Jussie? He faked uh, a hate crime, which was really a nasty, rotten, stupid, almost evil thing to do, especially in the in today's cl- racial uh, climate. But um, Jussie uh, now is uh, he, he's balking. Uh, the Chicago police are suing him for $130,000 because uh, that's what the investigation cost to investigate his bogus claim. But guess what? Jussie doesn't think he should have to pay back. Jussie's attorney says the filing of a police report in and of itself does not necessitate a sprawling investigation, nor does it as a practical matter usually result in an investigation as extensive as the one the CPD chose to undertake in this case. So remember how concerned everybody was and hoping that we could find the perpetrators of this heinous act? Well, now Jussie and his attorney think that they, come on, it wasn't that big a deal. What did you spend all that time and money for? I'm not paying for that. This guy just will not go away. It's kind of entertaining, though. Let's talk to you tomorrow. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com salemnow.com